Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. Well, as the questions come in, and I again thank you for that, please continue to do so. You can uh, email me at the email address in the show notes. But I've been noticing that um, I'm getting a lot of questions from people in the teen age group. And I think part of that is because I have a specific Facebook group for teen, uh, parents of teens, and so I'm on there chatting all the time, and there's quite an active group. If you haven't checked us out, um, come find us over at Facebook. So that's one reason. The second reason is I think it's a particularly challenging time in the life of parents to transition into raising teenagers, and we sort of seem to get a lot of our parent education when our kids are younger. You know, I teach a, a parenting boot camp, and a lot of the people that come to that are have kids sort of between the ages of, say, four and ten. Uh, and we seem to do a lot of our parent education in that age group. And then we sort of put it aside, and there isn't a lot of resources, really, for for parents of teenagers. And it's a particularly difficult time for parents. And we're, we're less prepared for that. So 
I thought I would just step back before answering my three questions today to just put a little framework around Adlerian parenting and this transition into adulthood uh, to give us a bit of a framework to have the discussion. And that is that when we think about parenting, we are trying to use child guidance techniques. We want to guide the child such that they will be successful when they enter into the adult world, the world of work and um, marriage and friendships and societal contributions. And we don't know what our child is going to be like. Um, They're all born with a genetic predisposition, and they all are wonderful and unique and much like wildflowers in a field. We should be really excited to get to know and get to discover the person that our child is going to be as the new generation, the new leader, you know, the new adults, the citizens of the world that will shape it uh, for generations to come. And that should be really exciting. So we provide the ecosystem in which that little seedling of a person grows and self-actualizes into themselves. And we don't get to pick the seed that we got. We don't know all of its inside potential as it grows. But we do want to create that little ecosystem. And so that's part of our our child guidance, guiding them towards what? Well, it's not guiding them towards our expectations. It's not guiding them towards what our... um, vision of success is or our vision of how a person should be in, in in the world, that eventually these people are going to be free agents. And we really have to step back from the mindset that our children are our chattels or that we are somehow responsible for the formation of a lump of clay into some successful human being according to our value systems. And that's really, really scary and hard for some parents. Um, And and I want us to get more excited about it. And part of it may be because of our own childhood upbringing. We may be very fearful of people's judgment of us, or we may take our responsibility for our role as parents and not trust the process enough that we will see our children's failures as somehow our shortcomings. And aren't we responsible for that? And so unless we get really clear about our role and our participation and let go of what is not our job and our responsibility, uh, you know, it becomes really hard to transition into the adolescent years when we are tasked with stepping back further and further and further and further. And that starts, if you think about it, weaning a baby from nursing is probably the first stepping back that you do. And um, it continues from that moment all the way through and until they're uh, off in out of our homes and off to college or um, professional careers or, or wherever their next step is out of our homes. So that process should be continual. And certainly by the time they're getting to the adolescent years and into the teen years, we should really be providing them a home environment where they're pretty much practicing their adult skills while we're still in close proximity 
but it's their practice ground. And of course, they're going to make a whole bunch of mistakes, but they're, it's safe mistakes because we're still nearby. But our role as educator has to switch up that um, we need to start to change the way we interact with our kids as being that resource to them as they start taking charge of their life and that they can come to us for support and sage counsel as they bump and bounce and make mistakes and try on different personas and have self-discovery. And it's just so painful for parents to hold that space because we really want to control and we really have faith and we haven't caught up with the level of maturity that they should be granted. And of course, for a lot of us, if we were stalted in taking time for training our kids and if we were stalted in handing over responsibility and if we have a more controlling or pampering style of, of parenting, then our child is going to be lagging in that. And then we're left with the consequences of what wasn't our preparatory parenting. And now we got to do some catch up but it's catch-up that has to be done. Um, so so let's um, let's have a look at these questions, and I will weave that in. That that you know we well, you can't raise a child to say I want my kid to be an A plus student and go to Harvard and have extracurriculars with this with sports because sports makes you healthy, and they should have optimal nutrition and um, you know do something that stimulates their mind instead of stupid games or whatever the things are that are are constructs for living. What we're really tasked to do is to prepare them to. To, to love themselves, be self-actualized, but that they put themselves into the utility of serving others in some way, making a contribution rather than take, take, take. What contributions of their wonderful soul, spirit, skills, and talents can they give to the world um, to, to care for others and to get along with their fellow man, to be cooperative? And... Um, if you get those pieces in place, those foundational pieces in place, then we have somebody that is set up for success in whatever endeavors that they want to uh, to pursue. And so, with that in mind, then let's have let's have a peek at our questions here. My 17-year-old is super social and bummed that he can't hang with his friends due to social distancing. I've seen so many kids hanging at parks and not keeping their distance that I don't even want to let him go for bike rides anymore. I don't trust that he is not meeting up with friends. I know he needs to socialize, but how can I ensure he's safe? So I think you're going to see a theme that comes across in the parenting questions. And the parenting questions are about behaviors that my children do when they are left to their own devices. I can't go with them on the bike ride to ensure that he stays apart, right? Um, I'm, I'm not there to make sure that they're eating properly, or I can't be there when they are doing their homework to make sure that they're actually studying. These ways that we want to constantly stay in their lives. And this is what adolescence is about. It's about how do you behave when you're left to your own accord. It's not enough just to have a home life where you have a scary authoritarian figure and you will submit and comply and be obedient so long as the um, person in authority is supervising and watching you because the minute they turn their back or you get out of your house and then you're asked to decide for yourself of your own accord, how will you behave? Do you make good decisions for yourself? And that's the problem with that style of parenting, that we're either going to get a child who will 
perhaps submit and make good choices in order to avoid the wrath of, of the authority figure in the moment, but then all havoc plays loose on their own. Or we get somebody who will not tolerate being controlled and told what to do and, and understands how demeaning that is, and you will get somebody who outwardly rebels. And um, these kids present more in, in counseling because they're causing great distress to their parents and that they overtly rebel to their parents and don't listen and won't comply. And so what we're, we're looking for is this through line of how do we cr- do the proper training so that your child out on their own is most likely to make good choices. And again, you know, we're talking about kids that will make mistakes. And that is where the fear comes in with COVID because the stakes are so high with making a mistake. But we've been in this situation with kids before. The stakes are also really high when you um, drive at high speeds or if you drink and drive or you have unprotected sex. or So there's many things that we know have high stakes in adolescence. And I think that's why it, it creates fear in parents. And if we allow the fear to consume us, we actually are more likely to perpetuate the very behavior that we are so scared and trying to avoid. Because from that fear, we make assumptions, we get controlling, and uh, our children will rebuke us in one way or another. So we have to stay the course. And I think it's really important that we talk about the fears. Rather than just reacting to the fears, we need to speak to it. And so I know you have probably talk to your kids uh, about the, the risks of COVID. But how is that communication gone? Maybe think back to how those conversations could have been perceived. And remember, I'm using perception here because perception is very powerful. It's, it's a very, uh, Lyrian psychology is very subjective. And it's not uncommon for us to think that we're talking in a calm voice, but our children with a pattern and a history of of relating to you may hear everything that you say come out of your mouth as preaching. Um, Or you've given them so many instructions and you've gone over so many things that they can no longer distinguish the everyday, don't do this, put your dish away, do your homework, don't show your bra straps, that we just were like Charlie Brown's teacher, just wah, 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 wah. And it's really hard for them to notice an emphasis when we say, wait, this is one of those really big things. How can they differentiate the important points that we're trying to make when there's just a cacophony of instruction coming at them all the time, which is why we want to keep our language sparse, certainly in terms of uh, giving compliance requests and going on about things that, you know, when we say pick your battles, certainly in the teen years as we're backing up and, and backing off. Um, there's just things that we do not need to comment, let go, or or give guidance about. So think about if you want to really have an accent point on something that's important, then you have to differentiate. You got to make it important, not not by getting controlling, by but by bringing the volume down on all the other things that you, as as parents, I say you, but we kind of natter on around. So that if it's like, wow, my parent is pretty reasonable, you know, um, they don't usually go on about things, but my mom is like, re- or dad is really 
torn up about this. And, you know, they actually usually give me quite a lot of freedom. And and this one seems to really stand out as being super important. That's going to land on them better. So talk about it from your fear and contextualize it in terms of using any other authority figure other than you. So I, I say this even with little kids. You know, if you want your kids to learn about why they should brush their teeth, get the dentist to tell them, right? And I'm sure in marriages you can even relate to this where, you know, a spouse might be going on and on about how you, like, need to lose a few pounds and they, you know, your blood pressure's going up and you probably need to look after that and they completely are tone deaf to their partner. But then the doctor will say something and they're like, do you know the doctor said that I need to bring my blood pressure down? And you're like, duh, why did you have to hear it from them? So... If it means sitting down together and watching the news and then being able to have that as a springboard of conversation, which says, you know, hey, listen, they are still, it may feel like things are opening up, but we're, we're still seriously asking people to, to comply. Um, you know, I, I know you're really super missing your friends and, uh, uh, you know, we got to find a way to balance how do we follow the instructions to, to help global society and yet how do we help you survive this time that's going on too long. And again, I cannot give and I will not give health instructions because people are listening to this podcast in all different countries, all different parts of Canada and the U.S. And so it's going to be different instructions depending on where you are. But here in Ontario, things are starting to open up. And... Um, what they're really concerned about is being able to uh, control the spread, um, obviously through contact, um, close proximity, whatever, but also because they want to be able to track it. So if you go to a park and you're hanging with a bunch of people that you don't know, you're not going to be able to identify those people to go back and say somebody with some developed symptoms, who have you been in contact with? So I think that's very different when you start looking at teens that might be hanging with just really maybe missing a girlfriend or really missing their best friend that could be somebody if they were able to have that exposure with um, that may be sufficient enough to bring down their need to socialize. And, you know, back in agriculture times or whatever, when kids hit this period of life, they were generally shipped off to an aunt or an uncle's or whatever to go work on the other person's farm, that there was a need to have some space between parent and budding adolescent child. So if it is at all helpful to you and it meets the guidelines, you may say, listen, here's the problem that we need a solution to that I'm willing to to look for some creativity to help solve. You're going nutso because you can't socialize the way you want to. And I'm feeling this obligation to a greater society and to make sure that our family is, is complying to what we're being asked to do. What are some other ways that we could solve this? Could it be that one of your friend's parents would be willing to have you go for a two-week stay knowing that for 14 days before you quarantine to make sure that you didn't develop any symptoms and then maybe you go join their bubble and then you can, you know, assuming that it's a parent that you trust to, to supervise, that may just take the pressure keg off this so that we're creating structure with flexibility versus being so rigid that our kids don't listen at all. And so that might be one way that you can um, get around their need to socialize. But the other thing is this idea of when we come at it reasonably and we show this sense of adulthood to our kids and we generate this feeling of trustworthiness and respect towards them, 
that's the condition by which they're much more likely. And notice I'm saying it's not causative. I'm saying we're creating conditions that are more likely to have them think twice and to want to honor that maybe we are a good egg and we have some good advice to give and they don't feel this need to go around us, defy us, that we're so unreasonable that we don't get their world, that we don't understand, um, that we'll have more sway and influence with them. So again, this is part of why I say build up the relationship. I'm sorry if it sounds like a broken record, but it's in the adolescent years, it's part like really one of the most important parenting tools we have. And yet it's when our relationships tend to break down because we just get into that fearful control mode and we don't listen to our kids and we don't understand their world and we don't trust them and we don't give them the space and the autonomy that they need and we get catastrophic when they make mistakes and so we we have to prove ourselves to to switch up this role in adolescence so um you know and honor I, the other thing that i hear a lot from teens is uh is that they'll say my parents have no idea what's going on out there and the crap that i could be getting into the stuff that i see my friends doing the stuff that i see people doing online and i'm not doing any of that and i still get grief from my parents so i would say really pay attention to all the the great qualities that you see in your kid, rather waiting for them to be perfect, comment on how grateful you are for how they conduct themselves in the way that they do. And that should be constant feedback for them, just uh, how well they are, are managing and navigating through these years. Okay, let, I have another teen one, and then I have one for, for an 11-year-old. Let me go to our, going down from 17 to 15. Hi, Allison. I need your guidance about my 15-year-old boy who has been dating, and she puts that in quotes, the same girl for two years now. By dating, I mean occasional movie and dinner, visiting to our home and hers, but only if the parents are present and supervised. But the issue is that my husband and I have concerns about the girl. Her social media posts are very dark and sexual, although she presents like an angel in our presence. And we try to do things together when she is over, games, etc., pre-COVID, of course. I just feel like she's a really bad influence for our son, and she certainly doesn't represent the values we hold. I don't know what to do. Any hint that we don't approve and our son gets really angry with us. Any advice what you would do would be very welcome. We don't know how to handle this situation. Well, the first thing I would say is he's 15. This is unlikely the person he is going to spend his life with. In fact, it's likely his first girlfriend, although he's met her at 13, if if he's 15 now. And, um, so if we just keep it, this is, again, keeping the fear down, you know, how much influence does she really have on him? You haven't shared with me anything that he is doing differently, anything that you have seen in him where he's not behaving appropriately. So that I would focus on that because regardless of who you're around, you don't blame the other person. He's responsible for how he reacts and how he responds and how he, he conducts himself and whether he receives her influence or not. For all we know, he may be the best influence to her, that she might have been 10 times darker, 10 times more sexual, and he might have been the one saying, hey, 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 hold back, or hey, 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 I like you just the way you are. So I'm not quite sure what influence you're talking about. But if we think about how people pick their early partners. And again, they explore, they try on people for size, they see what they like and they don't like, they're learning about themselves. But 
it's it is so common for first partners that one of the number one things that becomes the the criteria one is anyone there's just such a status thing about being in a relationship. And that's really interesting because it happens in pockets. Um, some high schools, for example, uh, you'll see that people don't really, you know, date or hang out in, in dyads. They hang out in groups. And some start that, some schools, you'll see a lot of dating in middle school and other middle schools, none at all. So it seems to be whatever the kind of social trend is around that. But then if it's kind of like, oh, you know, like... You, if you're going to show that you're growing up, you got to show that you're dating someone. The popular people have dates. And um, so there could be a pressure where you know, look, anyone is better than no one is, is sort of one of the criteria. But the second thing is it's often just anyone who shows you attention, anyone who likes you. How flattering. How flattering that someone likes me. And we almost completely forget that we actually have criteria of the kind of person that we're looking for. The the if it's like wow, but you know she she says nice things to me and she calls me all the time and she asks me how my test was and and all of that can feel just really super flattering and important. And that may at this stage in his life that may be all. He may just have a confidant in somebody who cares in a different way than his guy friends care, and that may be all that he really cares about right now. And so I think that we just have to have faith that he's learning and he's practicing and learning about him and himself. And then we just can we can feed that back, um, you know, get explored. You know, so, you know, you've been seeing so and so for, for, for two years now. There must be something about her that really appeals to you. Um, tell me, what, what do you think are the best parts of this relationship? What part are you really enjoying? Is there any parts that you're struggling with? Relationships are hard. You know, it uh, takes a while to, to learn how to work on one. I mean, he's kept it for two years. It already tells me that he's got some great attributes. <laughs> it's very hard to keep a two-year relationship. Ask some adults. So I would give him kudos on that. And then, uh, you know, it's it's just a matter of, in, in adolescence, being that mirror and not telling him his business, but getting him to do his own thinking. And so that's why Socratic questioning, you don't want to hijack and take over the work of his prefrontal cortex to do his problem solving and whatever, but you want to engage him to think. And so to do that in a non-judgmental way that shows trust and faith in him, um, you know, uh, so that he feels like you're an ally, you've got his back, but you might just shine the spotlight. Oh, yeah, one thing I really noticed is, um, you know, she seems sort of sad all the time. Is that hard? Is that hard for you to be to be the someone who's sort of the constant cheerleader? Or, you know, do you feel sometimes like you're more the caregiver in the relationship more than the one being cared for? Uh, you know, these kinds of questions. I don't know enough about the relationship to know. And so these are just questions that you ask with the knowledge that the processing of that might take time. But, you know, I don't see I don't see where he's suddenly or you haven't given me examples of where you'd be concerned, whereas you might say, you know, um, your marks have really dropped since you started seeing your, your gal. Um, I noticed that about you. That's that's an unusual tick in your behavior because usually you're kind of steady state with school. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's any relationship between what's going on with your friend and, and your marks. Could, could it be? So that's where I would use something where I'm seeing their behavior. You know, you used to always be talked to so respectfully, but now I'm sort of noticing this kind of back talk, and that didn't happen before. I'm, I'm wondering if there's something going on. In the, the only other thing I can put on a timeline is, is starting to see this friend. Do you think there's any 
in any relationship to that? Or, I mean, I'm just guessing here, but so I would kind of go about it that way. I hope it helps. And one day after two years, one of those two is probably going to have a broken heart. <laughs> and then that'll be another question for the podcast. Oh, dear. All right. So now we're coming in the home stretch. And this one's, we're going backwards in age. Now we're going down to 11 year olds and twins. Here's our question. I would also like to ask your advice. I have twins 11 years old. They love each other. Well, yay. Let's remember. That's sometimes we just like skip right over that and get to problems. You have 11 year old twins who love each other. So congratulations to you. There must be lots going on well in that family for that to happen. But let's hear the rest. They love each other, but they fight too much. Now, isn't that interesting how people can love and fight, right? That we can hold those two states. In fact, it's often the people that we love the most that we hurt the most. Isn't that true with parenting? You know, that, that a parent's word can just be cutting to a child's soul because the relationship is so intimate that we care so much about that person that we know exactly how to hurt them, push their buttons, manipulate them because it's a close relationship. So they love each other, but they fight. They're having trouble getting along, cooperating with their fellow man, as Adler would say. They say mean things to each other. Every night is a fight as they don't want to go to bed. They sleep in the same room. We don't have an extra room. I just let them play video games three days a week for two hours. That's great. For 11-year-olds, you're doing very well. But they spend the rest of the days thinking and asking permission to play. They're pretty active, but I don't know how to take that interest away from video games. Thank you in advance for your feedback. So actually, it's kind of two questions. So what I would say is um, when we look at kids who love each other but choose not to get along, and, and i using that word choose not to get along, because obviously you see opportunities and times in the course of a day or a week where they do get along. So I just say that because if they were little kids, we might still be training them around some basic skills. How do you share? How do you ask for a turn? But by the time your kids are 11 years old, they know how to escalate a fight and they know how to de-escalate a fight. And maybe you want to be watching more closely for the little minutiae of gestures that they each make to each other. You know, when one grabs the controller out of the other one's hand, one day... When they decide, well, I don't want to really make a fight about it, they go, ah, fine, he can have a turn. On another day, they go, he took my controller, give it back, starts pummeling him. But there's a choice. Will they escalate to discord or will they choose to cooperate and let it roll off their back? So I just say that because it is a choice. And the choice resides with both of them, that it takes two to fight, that they cooperate to fight. And why would they do that? Now, there's more than one reason. Um, Adler talks about goal-directed behavior. And in Young Kids Under 10, um, Dreikers talks about the four goals of, of misbehavior. Is the child seeking undue attention, uh, misguided power, revenge, or avoidance? And certainly a lot has to do with the attention that kids who fight get, that they pull their parents in. And I know a lot of parents think that that's all it's, you know, that the Illyrian way is like a little bit simplistic. Well, it is sometimes when we're working, just answering Q&A like this. But when we dig into family dynamics, we can get deeper into some of the details. Um, but often there is um, some way by which the kids are needing the audience of the parent in order to reenact some patterns that help establish and keep them and lock them in some roles. And 
if you left these two out on a campground for a week, I am guessing that without the audience of a parent and left on their own in the wilderness with just the chipmunks and the raccoons, that they would very, there'd be very little fighting and they would be freed from some of those roles. So, so pay attention to, to how much you really can not be a witness at all, at all. They even know you can hear on a different uh, level of the house. But part of it is also just about freeing yourself. And what I mean by that is when we're looking at roles and responsibilities, it's really important for kids to understand and for us to believe that it is not our job to make those two kids get along. It is not. That they are the caretakers of their relationship. And I know I've said this before, but it's only really going to change the family dynamic when the kids believe that. When you really stop being invested in trying to make them get along and you really become zen with, I guess you've decided to fight. Now, I can say that's your choice to make. I can't change the choices and the decisions that you guys are making. But, you know, I can certainly tell you that I don't, I'm unwilling. I can't tell other people what to do, but I can say what I'm willing to do. I can't make you get along. I can't make a decision of whether you two are going to decide to take things to a fight or a war or whether you're going to like joke and laugh along happily and enjoy each other's company like you do on occasion. But I can tell you that I am so wholly uninterested in watching my kids fight and I will remove myself because it's it makes me tense, it makes me sad, it makes me hurt. It's a terrible feeling to be around. I, I don't want to be around it. And so the more you can exit and return responsibility to them, when they really just sit with, well, well, hold on. There's no one here to be impressed. There's no one here to stop us. There's no one here to bug. There's no one here to get angered. There's no one here to pity me. There's no one here to think that I'm the tough guy. There, it's just you and me. How are we going to pass the day? Are we going to sit here and bother each other all day? Or should we get along and acquiesce and joke and share and get on with having a good time? They're going to make that decision quicker if they really feel that there is no secondary gain to being in a fighting state. So it's, you know, we often parents will say like, well, I try not to intervene or I try, you know, but they're until it is the responsibilities completely return until the audience is completely removed. There's still this residual piece that knows that you care, you're concerned, they're still stuck in those roles. So sometimes you're, you're doing the right thing. You're just not doing it long enough or full enough or you haven't really owned, like internalized it. It's, it's kind of like the same with potty training where people will say like, yeah, you know what, I've, I've, I realize that I've been pushing so I'm just going to back off. I re- I'm, I'm, you know. And then they'll say, well, it's been a week and they haven't done anything. I'm going, Why? how do you know it's been a week? Why are you watching? How do you even know how much time has gone by? Clearly, it's still on your radar. And if it's still on your radar, they know it's on your radar. So when you can drop it, drop it, drop it, completely drop it, that's when you're going to see change. So... I would just let them say, I see you've agreed to fight. It, see, you know, it seems like the two of you decided to choose, and I say again and again, choose fighting. That's your decision to make, not mine. You know, I can't stop you from fighting. <laughs> if I could, you wouldn't have been fighting for 11 years. So I'm going to go out and um, go for a walk around the block. You know, I'm, I'm going to go over to a friend's house and have a social distancing iced tea on the yard. Come call me when you guys are done. So I would exit farther, 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 and less, less, less upset, owning that it's between the two of them. They'll work it out. I'm glad they sleep in the same room. Um, 
every night's a fight that they don't want to go to bed. Well, again, I would say don't, you know, that's up to them. But when you're done tuck-ins, that's fine. I don't know how long they're going to keep each other up and exhaust each other. Anyone that's ever had twins that had to share a room, they'll say, like, they'll go and go and go and go and go. And then at some point they say, you know what, just go to sleep. And if you leave them with that dilemma and you don't come up and say, go to bed, settle down, leave him alone, you know, stop playing, stop fighting. If you stop coming and trying to put them to bed and they're just up there, yeah, they might stay up later than you'd like, but likely they'll fight less and go to bed earlier. Again, less likely, recognizing the amount of influence you can have, but you can withdraw your services of trying to get them to sleep. And the tireder one of the two will eventually say, cut it out. And they will make some, they will make some pact. Um, I would certainly make sure that wake-up time is the same every day so that they can see the benefit of actually <laughs> going to sleep. And uh, the last thing is about the video game. And again, like I said, if it's three days a week for two hours, you're doing a great job. That's, that's much less than a lot of 11-year-olds. But I would say if they are asking you permission to play constantly, it makes me think what, you know, again, trying to understand the child's behavior. What would have to be true for that kind of persistence and, and continual nagging? Can we have the game? Can we have the game? When's the game? When are we going to have the game? Wow. You know, if you knew that you were only getting it three days a week and only for two hours and that was consistent, it would just be a bloody waste of your time and energy to ask any other time, wouldn't it? So it makes me think that either they don't know when those three days are meaning you should make some kind of a calendar that visually says it is Tuesday at 2 till 4. It is Thursday from 1 till 3 or whatever. And so that they can really know that that commitment to a time is there rather than it's just floating and fluxing. But it also makes me wonder if, could it be that one thing your children have learned about you is that if you persist hard enough that sometimes... She might just weaken back down and give you an extra day or longer than two hours or give it to you on Monday instead of Tuesday when it's scheduled. If they think that they can use persistence to get their way and they've learned that about you, then of course they're going to try to use it to get their way. And I think this is important as we wrap up and loop back to the importance of family meetings. When we look at a democratic family system and we're trying to have everybody have a voice and a say and co-create the rules that they have to live by, knowing that when you've had a say in the family order, you're more likely to conform to the order because you've had that voice, you've had that respectful listening, you've, you've had input. That's how, that's how kids best get their way. And when they don't have the use of the family meeting, the democratic process, the co-creation of those, the, the, the social order with the leaders in the family, then how else would they get their way? How would they get an ice cream? How would they get more iPad time? How would they get a friend to come over for a play date? How would they get a puppy? And in the absence of having another method, kids do what they creatively do, which is they often use, you know, bad behavior, nagging, meltdowns, emotionality, demands, all these things we don't want to see because they don't have another way. They don't know another way. They've never been successful at another way. And so we have to create the family meeting 
in order to reduce those persisting demanding behaviors so that when they ask, you know, when can I have iPad time? Are we going to do? You can say, hey, you know what? If you don't like our iPad agreements that we're living with right now, the, the three days a week for two hours, then we can talk about it at the family meeting. And, you know, you might even bring up, you know, I'm I'm just wondering about how we can be more patient in between waiting because, uh, you know, I'm hearing a lot of requests for the game and, you know, it's tiring to keep having to say that's not what we agreed on. That's not what we agreed on. It's not what we agreed on. Um, I'm wondering if we can do that part of our family life better because I'm sure you're tired of nagging and I'm sure I'm tired of reminding um, and then ask them a better way, but try try something else. And, um, you know, certainly my parents, I, I remember that when we got close to Christmas, we didn't have a technology when I was little. But we were certainly excited about Christmas. And if we started going on about something that we wanted for Christmas on our Christmas wish list and we started talking about it, the rule was if you mention something, one of your Christmas gifts, then that's coming off your list. I was like, oh, don't mention that. Make sure you don't talk about that. <laughs> but the other thing, as I knew about my parents, is my parents said what they meant, meant what they said, and they followed through firm and friendly. So I didn't have to test that boundary. I knew. I knew something about the way my parents interacted with me from all the years of experience that they would not say that and not mean it. So going back to choosing our words carefully and not just blathering uh, incessantly. So um, I hope this has been helpful. I hope everybody is hanging in. Yeah, I think I told you last week I had a short little podcast because I threw my back out and that was as long as I could stand up. And now I am off for a holiday. So I'm a great believer in self-care and I'm going to get me some. So enjoy the week and send in your questions and I will catch up with you for our next episode. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.